Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today's guest is Stephen Cole, known um, around Twitter as one of like the uh, the lead investors in the space in uh, new companies that are coming into uh, into Bitcoin, but Bitcoin only companies, and this is what's really exciting. And I wanted to get Stephen on, ask him about you know how do we go about investing? What are the rules? Uh, how, how can we do it? How can we get a part of a company if we see a company that we're really excited in and we want to start investing in that? Can we get a piece of the action? Do you want a piece of the action or are you just going to stack sats? That's another question that needs to be addressed. So we get into it. I hope you really, really enjoy this one. It's um, it's something different and um, coming at it from a different angle. Really appreciate Stephen coming on the show. Before we get into it, don't forget, if you're, uh, if you're in the UK or if you've got access to the UK banking system, head over to coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten start your stacking journey by the way if you do sign up with them you get your own referral link which you can start smashing around all your friends and family whoever you are red pilling you know it's uh it's it's a long road to you know building up a a, a little side stash to give you a quick example i think five people have used uh, the affiliate link so far and i think i've that's netting me about five pounds 69 pence so you know this uh it's a long road but it's it's something and it's um it's helping a bitcoin only company gain a little bit more awareness in the market and it you know it's just our little way of of investing i guess if you look at it that way it's our this is our tiny way of investing into the whole sphere and space of bitcoin so uh consider that and um head over there if um if you're so inclined I hope you enjoy the show and thank you everybody as always for your support and thank you for listening. Hey guys, welcome to today's show and the guest with me is Stephen Cole. Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time today. Daniel, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. And uh, with me is uh, Lauren, the co-host. And before we got on um, with uh, with today's meeting, I was talking with Lauren. I said, do you want to come up and, uh, and speak with Stephen today? She's like, yeah, sure. Who is he? What does he do? And I said, oh, well, he's he's an investor. And she said, what is investing? <laughs> so that, I thought I may as well save the question for, for Stephen. So um, take your best shot at explaining to a nine-year-old, Stephen. <laughs> I love it. Excellent question. Um, investing is a pretty broad term. The type of investing that I focus on is investing in technology companies. Well, I also invest in Bitcoin. Um, there's that. That's a pretty big part of what I do. Of course. Um, but I also like technology companies. So companies that are maybe startups and they are building on a certain type of technology that I think is going to be a really big deal, then I will give money to them early on so that they can try their idea out. And if it works, then you own a piece of that company and you can make some money and perhaps a return on your investment. And you get to meet really smart, brilliant founders along the way and try to uh, try to help bring ideas to life. Okay, when I first said the question, I was like, 
Oh wait, would this be like a half an hour question? Because isn't this really important? <laughs> Because the shortest one ever is with um with, with Jeff Booth. Yeah, but yours is really short. I was like, oh, I guess I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there's a lot that uh, that you can talk about on that topic. But um, it is interesting because not a lot of people know about that particular area of investing. So, you know, this is a, a Bitcoin podcast in a, in a lot of senses. Um, so a lot of people listening are probably familiar with investing in Bitcoin. And a lot of people in the world are familiar with investing in stocks and public companies. But an area that people often don't quite understand as much about is investing in startups. Um, and it's different because there are certain rules about who's allowed to do it. So governments will say things like you have to have a certain salary, like make a certain amount of money or have a certain amount of money before you're even allowed to invest in startups. That's a rule that I don't like very much. <laughs> I think the world would be a better place without that rule. Um, and with freedom. Don't forget freedom. That's right. There's cameras everywhere. The more freedom, the better. Exactly. Well, um, I thought your follow-up question, I thought you were going to start pitching Stephen one of your business ideas and asking him for money. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do that. Yeah. Okay. Well, do you want to say... Um, um, oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say bye, but Daddy, mm -hmm. would you like to have a beer before I go? Uh, well, if you're going to go downstairs and find the coldest beer in the fridge, that would be amazing. Okay. Good lagudal. Okay. Okay, thank you. Can you mail me one too? <laughs> oh, no, well, that might be a bit too early where you are. Yeah, true. Beer for breakfast, probably poor form. <laughs> I'll stick with coffee. <laughs> well, um, thanks for uh, answering the question. And it is a subject that um, is very, very difficult to navigate when, when you're looking into... I've looked into it myself uh, very closely and uh, looked over, you know, some decks and whatever else, and we'll get into this, but... Could you explain to those that are listening and thinking, you know, what is startup investing all about and what are the barriers to entry and, and who can do it? Um, because like you said, you do have to be an accredited investor in some areas, but then we have angel lists, so we can um, explore both. So if you want to start with um, what it means to be like um, traditionally an accredited investor and what's so prohibitive about that. Yeah, sure. So at least in the US, I'm not familiar with regulations in other countries, but um, there's this notion of an accredited investor. And uh, there are criteria set for your income um, or your, your kind of net worth. And basically, the regulators say, unless you make this much money or you have this much money, then you're not allowed to invest in these private startup type of companies. I think that's really unfortunate. I think that's just this kind of arbitrary barrier to entry. The spirit of that, if you ask the regulators, is that startup investing is highly risky and it's you know very illiquid. So your money is often locked up for at least three years, maybe 10 plus years. Um, and there's most startups fail. So it's certainly risky in that sense. So the spirit of the regulation is intended to help people not lose their money um, and make sure that investors deploying capital in this way are... Um, sophisticated investors to use air quotes uh, or that they they have enough that it won't be too damaging if they lose some doing this but uh, but yeah it is just this artificial barrier to entry in my opinion and I'm 
pleased that over the years, there have been these other mechanisms that have evolved to democratize startup investing a little bit. So you mentioned syndicates and angel list, and that's one that's great. That's how I got started doing angel investing. So angel.co is a company and they are effectively a way to um, a platform for syndicating investments. So an angel investor can form what's called a syndicate and that effectively lets a bunch of investors sign up and you can pool that capital together and make an investment into startups, make an angel investment. So from the startup company's perspective, if they are taking money from a syndicate, it's simpler. So it doesn't look to them like they have 50 different people um, with equity in their company. It's just this vehicle that, uh, that represents the syndicate. But then the syndicate knows that on their side, that's actually comprised of multiple individuals, and maybe it's as low as a thousand dollars. It's kind of the the amount that each person's putting in, or something along those lines. Yeah, and I think it's a brilliant way to to let you know let normal people like to to just get a chance to invest in you know the companies that they see. It's been so frustrating. You know, you, you see a company being built and you're close to it for whatever reason, you understand it, you see the ethos, you you know its core values and you, like the people that are building it, this could have happened to anybody like in the last five, 10 years, but then you're not allowed, you're restricted from from doing that. Yeah. But now with AngelList, like you said, it could just be $1,000. I'm also optimistic that, uh, you know, this is kind of tongue in cheek, but, uh, but I think at the rate that they are printing money, we'll all be trillionaires soon in US dollar terms. And so everyone <laughs> will have, uh, have the dollar requirements <laughs> that, that they need in order to angel invest. Yeah, exactly. But again, and like the regulators, right? Uh, to your point, like, you know, it's for our own good. Right. right, right. That's what they're saying. Yeah, we're putting this barrier in, and it's for your own good. You shouldn't come and invest with your money because we know you can't handle it as you should. Yeah, absolutely. There's that quote that I love that I'm going totally butcher, but uh, but it circulates a lot in libertarian circles. That's like the the worst kind of torment is someone who torments you believing that it's for your own good because they will torment you to no end and with the approval of their own conscience. I, I think of that often when I think of these types of regulations. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. Okay, so when um when somebody if somebody was to go to to AngelList and find a company on there that they're interested in um, investing in. What is the next kind of stage that they should be looking at? What are kind of like the the key agreements? Um, there's these uh, things called safe agreements and uh, and things like that. There's still a minefield, right, for for people to navigate. And for a beginner coming into the space, some of these acronyms and some of these words they can all feel a little bit daunting and. You know, they might have got over the first hurdle, create an account on AngelList, gone and found something, and then bam, like there's six or seven pages of legal agreements and whatever else. And this has happened totally. to me. This <laughs> has happened to me. I'm speaking from experience. Um, so, you know, what can you say to people? What should they be looking for, you know, when first navigating these kind of um, strange uncharted waters yeah it can feel a little bit intimidating at first it's this whole different world i've only been angel investing for about three years Um, i consider myself first and foremost a bitcoiner and kind of angel investor second so any edge that i do have i consider that as coming from 
knowing about Bitcoin and knowing about the future that I think Bitcoin's going to bring. And in terms of the intricacies of angel investing, I don't even know that I would consider myself an expert Like when it comes to all of the different instruments available to make investments. I've done about 10 angel investments total um, over the last three years. Uh, about half of those are within the Bitcoin space. And I think that starting with syndicates on angel.co is the best way to begin. Even if you have a ton of capital to deploy, and even if you want to eventually work directly with the founders, I think starting through syndicates is ideal because it just helps you learn all that jargon, learn what these terms mean. And a lot of the hard decisions around what investment instruments to use and all these trade-offs are offloaded from you to the lead of that syndicate. So when you look on AngelList, you will see a bunch of different syndicates and you can look at who is leading them, uh, whether they have a particular vertical that they're focused on. Maybe they're focused on um, the Bitcoin space or SaaS or esports. And so you can kind of select by interest. And then the whoever is leading that syndicate facilitates all of the negotiation with the founders and entrepreneurs of these startups. And so that's really nice because then you still get to see how that's happening. The, the term sheet, all the legal documents, all of that makes it to you. And you can see, okay, this is the valuation that they agreed upon. Um, they're using this thing called a safe, maybe, um, which is simple agreement for future equity. And that's a pretty popular investment mechanism nowadays. Uh, and you can just really learn the ropes. And then when you see enough of those, and maybe you're deploying small amounts of capital that way, your confidence builds, familiarity builds, and you can eventually start connecting with entrepreneurs directly and going the independent route instead of being on syndicates. Yeah, it's um, it's really cool. And uh, have you ever met Navel, the, the founder? Not in person, no. I'm uh, I'm a member of his syndicate. I've uh, done an investment alongside him in that sense, but no, I've never met him. He's... Uh, a truly interesting person one of like the people to follow on uh, on twitter uh like i agree yeah i think a lot of bitcoiners tease him because he, he you know they kind of joke about him being the philosopher type and i know he's been into a lot of blockchain cryptocurrency technology <laughs> that bitcoin maximalists are quite skeptical of myself included However, beneath all that, I think he's fantastic. His podcast with Joe Rogan is probably my favorite podcast episode of all time across any domain. And he's helped me a lot just in terms of thinking about life um, and what's important and kind of how to think even. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Okay, so now if you're in a position, let's say you're in a position, you've... Um, you, you've been squirreling away, stacking sets. Uh, you're happy with um, with that progression, and now you think, "Hmm, how do I back one of these companies?" AngelList is definitely the place to go and do this. Uh, Bitcoin Adventures, which um, I can't remember if you were a part of with Corey and Yan and um, I'm a few not others. Is that a part of it? But I love it. Okay, right, yeah, yeah. Stefan Lavera. Um, that's the place. If you go, if you go to uh, AngelList, go and find Bitcoin Adventures and look at that syndicate, who they're investing in. Unchained Cap is one of those. Um, then I, w w where I kind of like, <laughs> where I hit the brick wall is, but sats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? That is a what? super interesting part of being an investor is if you believe so strongly in Bitcoin itself, then 
all these companies that uh, that you can potentially invest in are competing with the potential return of Bitcoin. And that's wild. <laughs> yeah. Like the, so, the same, I think it makes you more frugal in life in general, right? Like believing in Bitcoin and believing that your purchasing power will increase so much can change your spending habits in ways that are as trivial as I go to the mall and I see this, you know, pair of jeans I might want. And, uh, but no, it's, you know, if you have Bitcoin, then maybe I won't spend that because I just want to see my Bitcoin appreciate. So it makes you more frugal on small day to day things. But that same type of, uh, mindset shift applies to even like startup investing. I think there are a lot of companies that I've passed on in the last two years that I would have invested in if Bitcoin didn't exist or if, you know, I, I, wasn't kind of competing with bitcoin's potential returns in that calculation it's uh yeah i know exactly what you mean honestly um my mindset has has switched that way to uh you know my kids are tell you immediately he doesn't say he doesn't he doesn't spend anything he never gets a stuff (laughs) (laughs) pair of jeans in a mall you know i've got four kids those jeans look nice daddy like forget it keep walking past um right so how do you how do you balance that up then? How do you get to that that point of being comfortable with like your conviction must be so through the roof to because this isn't a liquid investment, right? You know, what what you're putting away in when you go into a company that's illiquid, that is cash off the table and locked up for minimum what would you say, how many years? I mean, three years minimum is typical, but like right. 10 years you know, potentially. <laughs> so off the table for a long time. And the mortality rate of startups is quite high too. So maybe you never get that money back. And it's in, if you're investing in, if you're a Bitcoiner investing in Bitcoin only startups, it is almost inherently more risky because if Bitcoin itself were to have a problem or were to fail, then your Bitcoin holdings tank, but certainly your portfolio of startups that you've invested in, that's certainly problematic for them too. So it's kind of like you you have that risk of Bitcoin failing more broadly, but then you also have the risk of failure that come specific to the startup you chose, the you know entrepreneurs or the, the product market fit not being right or some, just something going awry with the business that can be any number of things. So it is quite risky. I think it's unfortunately hard for entrepreneurs building on Bitcoin-focused companies to raise capital right now for a couple of reasons. First is exactly what we touched on. They're competing with bit, just holding Bitcoin. Um, and then second is that the venture capital space still seems to be uh, enamored by blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. And we're, it's not as bad as 2017, where you had that plethora of ICOs and uh, I think even more ridiculous projects, banana logistics on the blockchain and all that. So it's, it's becoming a little more sane. <laughs> but still, I think a lot of these VC firms are missing Bitcoin and missing building on top of Bitcoin in favor of trying to find the next Bitcoin or chase blockchain technology. Um, in my, I've kind of come to view that as like trying to find the next internet, you know, like Bitcoin's here. I think it's the internet of money and the first ones to recognize that and build on top of it will potentially be rewarded in like the upside is very high if that's correct. Um, as opposed to 
trying to find all of these alternative protocols to value that may not take hold. Maybe you end up chasing intranets when you should have chased the internet back in the late 80s, early 90s. So do you come at it from an angle of you want to be part of maybe maybe you're even like building kind of like a portfolio in the parallel financial system that we find ourselves in like you know we've always been taught diversify you know x amount in cash x amount in equities x amount in bonds and uh, whatever else is that what you're kind of doing in the bitcoin space now effectively yeah i try to be fairly mission driven with the companies that i invest in so especially in the bitcoin realm it's just stuff that i hope and believe would make the future better if it existed and part of it is um especially if that company maybe has a bit of a contrarian vision or it's something that they would have a hard time getting venture capital funding from in the traditional sense then if there are projects that i encounter like that then it's extra compelling for for me to invest in um, I don't really like the mentality of just spray and pray and try to do like 40 or 50 angel investments. And then you expect most of them to fail, but if you make money and that's where you get your return, I think that might be a valid practical strategy for making money. But for me, angel investing is about trying to enable a specific type of future and help build a specific type of future. Um, and part of how I try to contribute to that is just holding Bitcoin. But another part of that is finding companies that I think are building stuff that's important and trying to help work with them. Okay. So if we go back to like the um, traditional VC world and you're talking about uh, they're all kind of like chasing their tails around going after the the blockchain-y kind of uh, bells and whistles and uh, how much malinvestment do you think is going on at the moment? I mean, it- I think some concepts are valid like i think some of the use cases that are being attempted with these alternate protocols today are valid use cases but they just are being built with the wrong foundation so for example a lot of the things that are being tokenized might make sense to tokenize someday but should they be this standalone blockchain with their own proof of work mechanism or proof of stake mechanism um, or should that just be rooted in the security of bitcoin as kind of a base layer and then be some derivative that's either attached to bitcoin as uh, something on like a layer two uh, maybe like a liquid or lightning network in some form so i suspect there might be valid concepts that are being tested and tried in a standalone sense right now that will later require this almost forklifting over to to Bitcoin's network as some of these higher layer technologies on Bitcoin start to become more user-friendly, more consumable and more usable. And what's the feel over there now? Because obviously there's been a huge, the last 20 years, it's all been about tech investing, tech investing, tech investing. Is that still the drive? Is that still what, where the the VC, like the majority of the VC money is going? what, or are you seeing a shift? I'm not really seeing a shift yet. Um, I th- there's a lot of talk about Web3 and the notion of these centralized entities going away, such as you know Amazon Web Services and cloud computing services have been a dominant trend for the last couple decades, uh, by now or decade at least. And 
that's been lucrative. And I think now some people have these valid hypotheses about, oh, maybe those get decentralized and broken up a little bit. But a lot of the how is where I see the problems today. So Ethereum is a very attractive platform for developers to test things on early. It's, you know, got this flexible uh, Turing complete programming language that you can use. Um, but I, I think Ethereum is trying to be everything to everyone and to try to kind of cram everything onto this base layer. And I, I believe more strongly in those types of use cases coming to life on Bitcoin, even if that's indirectly um, at some higher layer. So I think a lot of the innovation that people were chasing was like ethereum is just here right now so it's the only thing that i have to test so i'm going to use it and this bitcoin thing is too rigid and it's just trying to be sound money right now and it doesn't have all these programming primitives that i need and so i'm going to kind of ignore that but now when we get into you know bitcoin being stable and ossifying at the base layer and then these other layers enabling those types of use cases then it just becomes more attractive to leverage all of the the proof of work and the the kind of deep down you know security that bitcoin's blockchain is bringing like leverage that you get security and immutability and you know that things can't be rolled back um as rooting yourself in bitcoin and uh and then all those other problems you can kind of you know just deal with the layer that you care about to to be analogous to network protocols in computing stacks it's almost like there's, you know, you'll hear about like the TCP IP or OSI models. And so there's this notion of like the physical layer and then uh, layers on top of that for like Ethernet and IP addresses. And so if you just want to think in terms of um, IP addresses and one machine on the Internet talking to another machine, you don't really have to care about the physical layer of the like wires and screws and nuts and bolts of cables that are connecting machines. That's solved by people with different protocols at a different layer. And I think that that layering is finally starting to begin with this protocol of of value and immutability that Bitcoin brings. And Bitcoin is kind of the base of that layer that we'll see see layers on top of. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so here's an idea I've I've been trying to flesh out and I'd love to get your your take on this. We you know, the scenario is we've got um we've got a founder who comes to you know, he's a Bitcoin through and through, 100% Bitcoin, wants to start a company, has a great idea, uh, has built like a, a good team around him or her, two or three other pure Bitcoiners, uh, and they need to raise cash because they can't get it in the, the, general, uh, in the general way from the general VC crowd. You and two or three others go in pretty heavy perhaps, and they raise a couple hundred thousand, whatever it is. To go and um, you know start building out and marketing and you know shipping the product. Sure. As one of the primary investors, w- w- when this happens, generally all of that cash isn't needed at this at that point for the company to go build. They have bam, the money hits the bank account. As one of the primary investors, would you be much more comfortable if they were to then take that cash and turn like a small percentage, one to ten percent, into Bitcoin? as a holding Ooh, yeah. to lengthen the runway? Excellent question. Uh, I would be. Yes, I would be very comfortable with that. But I know that that's uncommon and it's not a belief that a lot of investors share. So where I'm at is I, 
I have such strong conviction in Bitcoin that I've, you know, pre- pretty much bet my life on it at this point. Um, if Bitcoin <laughs> fails, I will still be, you know, I will be fine. Um, I will be quite, I, I will be yeah. quite happy and content with uh, with my life. But it's important enough, and at this point, I think uh, almost inevitable enough that I am. I consider it worth it to invest a lot of my personal capital in it, invest a lot of my personal capital in founders and startups that believe in it and that are banking on it. Um, I would be comfortable with a startup that I invest in keeping 100% of its money in Bitcoin, effectively being unbanked. Um, and it's, uh, it's very philosophical for me. It's not just about making money. Making money is lovely, but I, you know, I'm also a very... libertarian uh, crypto anarchist type. And I think that changing the world in some pretty big ways, like Bitcoin's the best shot that we've got at that. And uh, so I would feel better just philosophically going to sleep at night if I feel like I have really tried with, with almost every, in every way that I can to, to help us take a swing at this thing. You know, Bitcoin is our chance. And so whatever I can do to help forward Bitcoin, I want to do. So if I widen that question out, and if you were to look at the landscape now, um, any startup that's getting funding, not just Bitcoin only, any startup Mm. in any sector, if they were to hold 1% to 10% of their seed equity immediately into Bitcoin, what's that, did you say? What percentage of startups fail in the first one to two years it's ridiculously high oh, yeah right? it's greater than 50 yeah most startups right, what fail. do you what do you think it would change to if they were to switch and adopt an approach of holding one to ten percent of seed capital straight into bitcoin yeah i mean it is uh like bitcoin's market cap is small enough that the volatility is a big risk for startups so Part of my confidence in saying, I guess today as we're recording this, that I'd be comfortable with these companies allocating to Bitcoin is also knowing where we're at in the macro cycle. So I think we're kind of winding up for the next big upswing and we've had a almost two year long bear market at this point. So in in that sense, I'm a little more confident on the timing, but it's challenging when you uh, when you're talking more broadly about startups allocating to Bitcoin, because runway is just a big concern for startups. They often will raise capital with the goal being, okay, now we have this many months worth of funds. And so in those months, we intend to achieve these objectives. And if we're successful, then we know that we'll uh, have enough proof for investors that we should get more capital and kind of be able to raise subsequent rounds. And so if companies were to allocate too much to Bitcoin, then their runway is put at risk. If Bitcoin falls by 50%, then suddenly you go from a year of runway to six months of runway or six months to three months. And as a startup founder, that kind of stress and just mental overhead from having to check the Bitcoin price and track that in addition to building the product that is really the core of your business might be too much and just might be unwarranted. Um, Like maybe if, you know, it's a smaller than 10 percentage uh, type of allocation of company funds, then the risk reward is is there. But 
it's it's really tough to say like how far do you take it and at some point like does it become this investment company or is it safer for companies to just hold dollars and focus on building whatever they're trying to build especially if they're not in the bitcoin realm and as much yeah, of a bitcoiner as i consider myself that is often the case in in practice is that it's safer for the success of that idea that team that founder to hold dollars just at for the volatility protection short term um, while they raise more capital and prove a concept out yeah it's interesting um i was talking to preston pish the other day and he, he you know he, he started talking about um pricing the s&p or the dow any company in in bitcoin terms rather than yeah. fiat terms and all of a sudden everything's a value play and you're like holy shit it's like, yeah you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's wild um you know the money is the measuring stick so it's weird to think about uh or i guess to compare bitcoin and dollars and all these other asset classes uh and measure it in those because you will see uh, like the stock market today is doing quite well uh, in America as we're recording this. And we've just come out of uh, a crazy pandemic and riots and a lot of social unrest. And so is that warranted or did they print a lot of money and money is the measuring stick by which we use to kind of figure out if the system is okay. And so it just appears to be more okay because they're like messing with that measuring stick. It's a, uh, it's difficult, but I agree that Bitcoin, like denominating things in Bitcoin and comparing returns in Bitcoin is an important shift to start doing, start applying that to. Um, and I think the more hedge funds that start denominating their returns in Bitcoin and conceptualizing them, I believe Adam and Capital um, mentioned that they already consider that they're, like when they are soliciting investment from partners, then they will compare their returns against bitcoin because they know that people who are potentially going to invest in them could simply hold bitcoin right and so they want to provide an incentive beyond that like they want to give you a return against bitcoin um and the more of society that starts measuring value in bitcoin terms i think the better it'll be for the world and have you been paying close attention to like the grayscale um updates on you know the a little bit, just seeing uh, seeing some impressive volume in terms of what's being purchased yeah. there, but not checking it too deeply. So what are your thoughts? Like th this volume is just going like through the roof into grayscale. And like the, that signals to me that's hedge funds, family offices that um, don't really want to get into the deep weeds of, you know, self-custody and you know, just don't understand it are entering sure. the space. It's good to have like the more... Institu even institutional money that is interested in Bitcoin, the better. But it does kind of start to surface this uh, like follow-on problem, right, of centralization and some custodial risks. Because mm. if we now have hundreds of millions of dollars of capital that flow in and they only store things on these big exchanges like Coinbase or Gemini or Fidelity, then the risk of those getting hacked, the risk of those getting... Uh, coerced later on or uh, having assets seized by regulators is pretty high. Um, so that'll always be this game of cat and mouse, I think, between regulators and technologists. And we'll just, people will learn lessons the hard way. We will see exchanges continue to get hacked. And maybe we will see draconian regulation clamp down on uh, you know, even big miners, uh, but especially like big custodians of people's coins and put a lot of uh, 
a lot of measures in place to make it hard for people to withdraw and take possession of those coins on their own potentially. And so from that sense, I think it's important to continue educating people about the ways in which they can control their own Bitcoin keys, um, run their own Bitcoin nodes, effectively make ownership of Bitcoin less centralized over time. That just makes the whole system more resilient. Are you seeing any moves in the US at the moment where there might be kind of these regulations that come out that pass down to banks that aren't allowed to authorize transactions to Bitcoin related companies or anything like that? Um, there, there's rumblings of that in Europe uh, mm. that is a little a little worrying. And I just wanted to try and get, um, you know, what's going on across the pond? What, what what's the What's the word? Nothing really concrete. A lot of what I see in that realm tends to be anecdotal at the individual level. So there will be cases of individual accounts being frozen for questionable reasons. Um, uh, A trend that I thought was unfortunate recently was the perception that coin joined coins are um, bad or just inherently like, uh, like a negative in some way. So I think there were some institutions that had policies or were working with partners that enforced policies that said if you try to deposit coins uh, that were maybe coin joined or that were shown to be associated with scams uh, uh, that were partaking in similar types of coin joins, then we're not going to let you deposit or we're not going to let you withdraw. We're going to freeze your funds or something along those lines. Um, I hope to see coin join and privacy technology just normalized. Um, I like the meme a lot of make every spend a coin join. And right now, there are a lot of entities out there that have a powerful interest in surveilling activity on the blockchain and tying people's real identities to Bitcoin transactions. And I want to break that. And I want to uh, like empower entrepreneurs who want to break that. Uh, because I think it's important to just let people be as private as they want to be with their financial activity and let them be financially sovereign. And it, even if the regulations are framed in a very positive way of, oh, we want to just make sure these tra- this, the source of this money is good and we're not supporting these illicit activities, um, that can be turned against the, the individuals very quickly. Um, and what constitutes you know, bad financial activity is is a very murky area. So I would rather just see privacy technology continue to improve and become more widely used so that those types of enforcement mechanisms simply become impractical. I, I would like to see CoinJoin used so much by so many people that it would be impractical for exchanges for business reasons to even uh, not deal with UTXOs that have CoinJoin in their history. And it's not a new concept, right? I mean, let, let's let's face it. If you're walking down the street and you've just got like a bunch of 20s in your wallet and you need some smaller change, you walk into the nearest corner shop and you say, hey, could you split a 20 for me? Could I get 10 ones and two fives? Is that not the same principle? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a mini coin join right there in dollar bill form. <laughs> we've uh, we've joked at the uh, the meetup group that I run here in Southern California about something trying to arrange like a physical coin join thing where people would bring open dimes with a certain amount of Bitcoin on it. You would make sure that mm-hmm. everybody brings the same amount, and then you put them into like one of those lottery spinball things and and do like a, like a physical coin join. I think that'd be pretty fun. <laughs> that'd be very cool. 
Uh, that might be the start of some weird kind of Bitcoin swingers party as well. So yeah, watch yourself. <laughs> yeah, who knows where you can <laughs> can go any number of ways. <laughs> but yeah, in general, I think the the more private, the more fungible the Bitcoin is, the the better for the world. Um, and I, uh, it's funny too because the altcoins such as Monero and Zcash kind of have this interesting incentive for Bitcoin to not be private, right? A lot of their value proposition is mm -hmm. like, oh, well, we're the way that you can keep your funds private because that Bitcoin thing is clearly traceable. So it, it, this may not be true at the individual level for everyone involved in these other projects, but at a high level, there's a pretty powerful incentive for people who want Zcash and Monero to succeed, to not want to see Lightning succeed or to not want to see coin join technology become more usable because it just threatened it obviates the need for for their coin now i realize who is funding the chain analysis companies <laughs> it all comes all comes full circle there you have it listeners wow um okay let's um how did bitcoin find you i've been in bitcoin since late 2013 i was working in san francisco in the web tech sector um I started my career as an engineer at eBay and then was managing some small software teams at a couple of startups. And so around 2012, I was at a startup in San Francisco and one friend I consider brilliant started telling me about this Bitcoin stuff and I ignored it and shrugged it off for a while and figured it was just another payment app. And then in 2013, like late 2013, early 2014, I saw that it was still around. I saw the run-up in price happen to, I think, $1,000. And those same brilliant people were still quite excited about it. And I was like, okay, I really need to look more into this. And so that's when I started reading more seriously and started buying, I think, early 2014. And as it so often goes, you get a little bit of skin in the game, and that gives you this incentive to stay interested and to learn more about it and so you know even though i only bought a few bucks worth of bitcoin at first suddenly i was far more interested in the price and much more compelled to learn uh, i came at it from a tech perspective so i think with my background being computer science and being in web tech i just thought what is this blockchain thing what is this blockchain technology how is that going to change the world and the idea of digital scarcity was fascinating to me. So I was very skeptical at first. I thought, you know, files can be copied. That is just how computers work. So clearly a limited number of something digital is a non-starter. And I just need to like read this paper and figure out where the problem is. And then, but yeah, every, you know, the, the more questions that I asked, the more answers that I found and the more confident I became that, uh, that this Bitcoin thing might actually be a big deal. Um, so yeah, kept learning, was working, continued to work full time, kind of doing DevOps and internet infrastructure, um, but just became increasingly passionate over the years about Bitcoin. And then around late 2016, started making investments into companies in the space, started working part-time with some of those companies and uh, and just on kind of a project basis with companies in the space. Um, so yeah, Bitcoin's very much captured my heart. So when you were at eBay, was that around the time like the whole PayPal thing was going down? Did you get a very close look at that? And uh... Yeah, I was at eBay from 2007 to 2012 and 
during the time that I was there, I think there was that controversy about censoring WikiLeaks. So um, I, uh, you know, Bitcoin wasn't on my radar at the time, so I wasn't comparing it to that. But I do remember feeling disheartened about that uh, as, you know, as a libertarian, the WikiLeaks files and what they showed about mm-hmm. the Iraq war were formative for me in uh, kind of politically. And so I remember just feeling saddened about how that was all playing out and kind of wishing that I could do more. Um, but not knowing about Bitcoin at the time, you just kind of internalized that. And I think it, it later functioned as fuel, right? Like now you discover Bitcoin uh, a couple of years later and you think, oh, wow, this would actually make a difference in these scenarios that I've seen play out. Can you give us any great stories from San Francisco in those days? Because that is, I mean, my goodness, you were in the <laughs> eye of the storm. Like, like you know, that was, they must For have been sure. crazy times. What, yeah, they, what was it were... like to live in San Francisco during those times? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was crazy times for sure. And I was very career driven, still am. So I was just moving wherever work was. You know, I was very nomadic and would just kind of get a studio apartment wherever was closest to the office and walk to work. Um, I, I will say one funny anecdote is um, the close friend who I had who in got me intrigued about Bitcoin early on. You would assume that someone who gets into Bitcoin and is passionate about it before you ends up kind of doing better from Bitcoin as a result. But that is sometimes not the case. And his journey is is uh, pretty funny, you know, so I won't dox him by any means, but it was an illustration to me of just how important the circumstance and details of like how you learn about Bitcoin can be. Because he got like early on, he, I think, started learning when it was $3 per Bitcoin, roughly like back in that time period. But he's a brilliant guy. So he thinks, you know, I'm not going to just buy Bitcoin like any idiot can do. I'm going to mine Bitcoin and I'm going to like invent the new best way to mine Bitcoin. And so he developed FPGAs, these feel like uh, certain types of specialized chips to, to try to mine Bitcoin. And did a great job at it, but put a lot of his own capital into that. I think, you know, tens of thousands of dollars into trying to like prove out this idea. And then about the time that he finished was the time that the first ASIC chips, which are more efficient generally than FPGAs, were released. So his idea, like he finally finishes, and then that idea becomes useless because now everybody has these ASICs and the mining just gets more difficult. And so he didn't actually like buy any Bitcoin when it was at that level. He put all of his capital into trying to develop these chips. And then because of that, he hates Bitcoin for you know a period of a few <laughs> years until 2017 when he sees the run up and then buys like near the top. And so it's just like, you know, multiple levels of wreck. And we laugh about this nowadays and he's completely comfortable with me kind of sharing the story with this level of anonymity around it. But it it's such a powerful illustration of just timing and circumstances, everything. And just because you hear about Bitcoin early doesn't mean you will have a pleasant journey. No, for sure it doesn't. How many people do you think, this is what, you know, I try and explain to people is like, you know, I, I still speak to old colleagues and clients of mine who are foreign exchange traders or foreign exchange brokers. And the first thing they say to me is, I've missed the boat, Dan. I've missed the boat, Dan. Right. They told me that they, like most recently, a guy told me he missed the boat is it nine thousand dollars? And it went all the way down to three. I'm like, well, the boat came back for you. Do, do you think they bought? <laughs> of course not. 
And it's just, they're, they're thinking, well, when it was at $1, when it was at 10 bucks, that's when I should have bought it. I'm like, right, right. okay, would you still have it? Yeah, yeah. Would you be able to Of course to they wouldn't. They'd have sold out with 20, right? Totally. <laughs> They'd be even more depressed. So it's like, <laughs> all right, well, we should, we should probably uh, start shilling some of the companies that you've invested in, if you're allowed to talk about it. Um, I'm sure, sure I'm sure some yeah. of the CEOs are probably thinking, God damn it, Princey, <laughs> hurry up. Let, let's get the shills going. Um, and I want to start with, with one, um, because this is very, um, you know, it's a great segue from what we were just talking about, you know, trying to time your buys and whatever else doesn't make sense. It's a dollar cost average into like your first, even for those more like, like myself, I've been buying for five years. Um, I just set up dollar cost averaging because it makes so much sense. And it wasn't around five years ago. This is kind of like a, a newer newer thing. So do you want to talk about um, Swan and uh, your involvement with them and how you come to find them and the ethos around uh, the dollar cost average? Absolutely. So Swan Bitcoin is uh, my favorite way to buy Bitcoin with KYC in the U.S. Um, they're U.S. only right now, but effectively uh, a great way to average in over time using a recurring buy dollar cost average strategy. Uh, it's tempting with Bitcoin to try to time the markets, right? But that's easier said than done. I think everyone sees these dips and they think, oh, I'm, you know, I would have bought here and I should have bought here and I want to buy here. And then in hindsight, you see the, the peaks of these graphs and you think, oh, I should have sold there. But in practice, that's really stressful and it's hard to be good at when you're in the moment. And so you like being in this space since 2013, 2014, I still just dollar cost average when I buy my Bitcoin. It's I like it as a no stress approach, and it's how I try to recommend every new person in the space get into it. Um, Swan is a relatively new entrant into that scene as a as a retail on ramp. So they have a, a great team like Corey Clipston. I think you and I both know um, excellent guy, the founder Jan Pritzker, CTO, um, and a lot of great advisors. Um, so it. It gives me confidence in Bitcoin in a couple of ways. First is just it helps build that price floor very gradually over time. The more people who you have just like gradually accumulating this and averaging in on maybe a weekly or monthly or even daily basis, um, the the better we'll, we'll kind of establish that floor of hodlers for the price. Um, the other way in which I like it a lot is just frankly, like the founders, I feel like are really good Bitcoiners. And when it comes to these on ramps, you are trusting these companies with your ID, um, with your, you know, you're, they're required to comply with KYC regulations and collect certain information about everybody who signs up as a customer. And so when I think about sending my friends or sending my my aunt who is 89 years old and she is now investing through swan the idea no. of sending her to somewhere like coinbase or one of these other exchanges where they will perhaps try to guide her towards these other coins and tell her why these other coins are superior to bitcoin and how much their leadership wants people to buy bitcoin versus other coins is quite questionable um you know i wouldn't be comfortable with that at all and I think Swan is run by good Bitcoiners and it's a good Bitcoin only way to, to just kind of 
purchase and reduce the stress about price volatility. So it's nice. It kind of puts your sat stacking on cruise control. Um, the other the other footnote that I will add to that is that um, the other way that I do buy Bitcoin and encourage people to buy Bitcoin is peer to peer without KYC. So KYC does have some risks, you know, even if the companies that you're giving your information to are trustworthy and wonderful. Um, they could be hacked. They could be coerced someday into giving that information to regulators. And so peer-to-peer -peer networks like BISC, B-I-S-Q, um, that can connect you with other locals and let you buy Bitcoin that way are wonderful, I think. that that's It's a little more advanced and maybe not as practical for some users, especially new users. I would not have my 89-year-old aunt go try to like buy Bitcoin peer-to-peer -peer on BISC. <laughs> But but I think there's this progression, right? And you get some skin in the game uh, in these easy to use ways, and that encourages you to learn more. And then you can educate yourself more about these trade-offs. And I think it's important to keep educating yourself. And hopefully, you'll get to a place where maybe you do want to to buy in these other more advanced ways that don't reveal as much information about yourself to the world. Yeah, for sure. And what about the other guys? We can't leave out. Um we'll be doing a disservice to to the other guys that are looking to um you know help we're looking for you to to help you know spread the word about their service yeah in terms of uh, retail on ramps you mean yeah retail on ramps or people that you've invested in that you're trying to help build and uh you know believe oh, in yeah for sure um other good retail on ramps like cash app and river financial are both great um they're bitcoin only companies run by you know good bitcoiners uh, the, the other projects that I'm involved in and, uh, think very highly of Samurai wallet is a wallet for Android that is focused on Bitcoin privacy, just letting people take control of their finances and only reveal as much as they want to reveal about their activities of the world. Uh, I'm really enthused about the recent developments of theirs in coin joining. So in the past to do coin joins, which is like a way to to try to obfuscate your activity on the blockchain that required a lot of like software that you had to set up on a server or at least like a laptop and then let it run and go through some configuration and now samurai has incorporated CoinJoin directly into their android mobile wallet so with nothing more than you know your android device and samurai wallet you can uh, effectively mix your coins perform these coin joins and help make it more difficult for people to track what you're doing in Bitcoin. Uh, and then invested in Casa as well. And I like the Casa solution for multi-sig storage. I think that's a great trade-off of security and usability where you have Casa to help you keep your Bitcoin secure, but you are not giving control to Casa over your coins. They can't spend your coins. They can't steal your Bitcoins. Even if someone took control of Casa as a company, um, you know they wouldn't be able to to steal your funds. So I think they've they've struck a pretty cool balance there. Very cool. And what do you think would be a no-brainer investment for you if an entrepreneur came to you and said, "Hey, Stephen." I I like the I, I tend to favor projects that have kind of a cypherpunk ethos, and I'm a big fan of the Sovereign Individual thesis. So the Sovereign Individual is a wonderful book, and it was formative in my thinking about how the future is going to look and the types of companies that I want to invest in. And so companies that are building towards that future of sovereign individuals who 
you know, are financially sovereign and exercise control over their finances, uh, just kind of their life. Those are the types of companies that really resonate with me. And so that's a, that's a compelling starting point. Um, I think any, any founders who see Bitcoin as the future global base layer for money and they want to build something to either help accelerate that future or build in preparation for that being the future, then that's beautiful to me. Um, that makes me excited. Okay. Well, if anyone's thinking about building out a, um, a company and looking for investment, that's the type of thing that um, you're going to be looking for. So, yeah. uh, okay, I'm going to round it up. And uh, I've, I've been refining my last question because sometimes it can get a little bit long-winded. So the short question is, if you had one red pill left to give to someone, Ooh, who would I that see. person be and why? One red pill left. I'm going to give kind of a fun answer. Uh, so I, I'm also a big fan of rap music, and that just has a special place in my heart. And mm -hmm. uh, my, my favorite rapper is Chance the Rapper, and he has been tweeting some things recently about you know along the lines of like defund the the state but uh but he's uh, one thing that i like about him is he just seems like a great person you know and he wants to use the wealth that he's accrued for social good and i think bitcoin isn't often seen as a tool for social good or for improving society you know people who aren't familiar with it see it as either this thing to enable the black market or to help people try to get rich quick. Um, but I would love to, uh, to pitch chance the rapper on, um, on Bitcoin as a tool for social good. And I think that'd be a fun conversation. Um, and that the more people like him, we have involved in it to, to help open the eyes of other people better. Do you have a song of what's, what's the, what's the song already out there throughout your life, whatever it is, that is like this weird secret, Bitcoin, Bitcoin song. Oh, like where the the lyrics are like yeah. speak to some Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I'd have to. I'd have to think about that. That's a, a funny one. Jumps to mind. It's uh, borderline <laughs> ridiculous. But there's a, a rapper, um, white Jewish rapper called Little Dicky. I don't know if you've heard any of his stuff, but he has a song called Save That Money. And it's kind of this uh, this satirical song. It's meant to be funny because most rap songs are about you know spending money on luxurious items and lifestyles. And so he wrote a rap song about saving money and how frugal he is, and about sharing Netflix subscriptions and you know only uh, getting a haircut like very infrequently. And when I hear that song, I just think about stacking sats. I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's somebody who appreciates Bitcoin, the value of money, because they're. They're not spending it frivolously. Awesome, man. Awesome. It just came to my um, to, to me the other day that uh, you know I'm a big Formula One fan and um, like the I I don't know if, if you watch Formula One, but uh, I don't. Like, no. The the title music today is it's the Fleetwood Mac song and it's called um, the Chain. And I'm like, no way. And like, when you go back and listen to the lyrics, they just repeat over and over again, uh, never break the chain. And it's like, man, that's a Bitcoin song right there. And <laughs> there you go. I like it. I got to make a playlist sometime. We do. Um, I think Diddy Taihutu actually, he, uh, yeah, he did, um, he put a, like a crowdsource out there, um, you know, what are your favorite Bitcoin tunes? And, you know, funnily enough, Bob Marley was one of the, uh, one of the top hits uh 
Exodus, for example, would be a, a great one. Uh, nice. There, there's yeah. a there's a rapper too named um, I think King Spencer who wrote a song about Bitcoin on Cash App. The title is like like Cash App Bitcoin, something along those lines. Um, okay. And it's uh yeah, it's it's a pretty good song. So hope, shout out to King Spencer if you happen to ever hear this. <laughs> and talk is about there, Bitcoin. Is there any like uh, is there anyone out there that you think? is just like this huge secret Bitcoiner that isn't owning up to it, isn't... I feel like the whole PayPal mafia, you know, not not in the music industry, <laughs> but uh, but the whole PayPal mafia, like Peter Thiel and Elon Musk, mm. I, I have trouble seeing how they wouldn't be. The original mission of PayPal was to separate money from state. Not right. many people know that. Uh, yeah. But I, it's hard for me to see them not having huge stashes of Bitcoin and strategically being quiet about it. And it's funny because Musk popped up on the JK Rowling tweet the other day. Yeah. Did you see yeah, that? Yeah. He claims to only own, a, I think he said like 0.25 or maybe yeah. 0.025 BTC. Yeah. Um, who knows? Maybe he's just really, really good at OPSEC. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stephen. Well, we'll wrap it up. Um, where can people come and find you if they want to reach out? What would be the uh, the best place to um, to come and connect? Yeah, Twitter is the best place. Um, Twitter.com slash S-T-H-E-N-C. My DMs are open. And anybody who wants to just learn more about Bitcoin, has questions about Bitcoin, or entrepreneurs who are building something uh, related to Bitcoin, um, would love to chat about it. And is there any final message that uh, you want to leave the listeners with? Uh, I'm going to give a little hat tip to Matt O'Dell. So Matt O'Dell's got, you know, stay humble, stack sats. Love that. Um, stay humble, defund the state. <laughs> Perfect. What a great way to leave it. Stephen, thank you so much for your time and um, yeah, sharing all of your knowledge and your insights. I, I hope it's um, going to help many people. Hey guys, thank you for listening to today's episode with Stephen. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, it was brilliant. I thought, you know, getting into the uh, the nitty gritty of of what is investing. What does um, what does it mean? How do you do it? Is it available to anyone? Uh, it clearly isn't um, in the traditional sense. But now with AngelList, you can get over there. Go find Bitcoin Adventures if you're interested. Just go and have a snoop around. It, it's free to make an account. Go and see the kind of uh, companies that are being invested in and looked at uh, because it gives you a clue of you know what's coming next in the space. If you can get an idea of the companies that are being funded, then you know what's getting built out and you know what kind of services might be coming down the line and um, just building out the whole uh, like a spectrum around Bitcoin and the services and the products that are going to be released. Um, it's nice. Uh, it's not, almost like a little looking glass into the future. Um, if you are inclined to invest, that's definitely the place to do it. Uh, that you know, uh, it is entirely up to you. Um, as I said to Stephen on the show, you know, you get there and it's like, hmm, maybe I could invest some into this. You know, just a tiny slice doesn't have to be huge amounts. Just it could just be a tiny slice, uh, and you know, as low as a thousand dollars, whatever it is. Um, for some people, that might be a lot. I understand, um, but then it's like, hmm. It's that or sats, right? Um, so this is, um, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting thought process, and uh, I'd, I'd urge you to go and check it out because you know it's all part of the learning, and we're in this rabbit hole for a reason. And if you see a new little hole, go down, have a look, and um, see what's down there. 
that's what we're all about as Bitcoiners. So I hope you appreciate the interview and uh, go reach out to, uh, to Stephen on Twitter. Go and follow him. He's always got um, some great content coming out. And um, yeah, as always, uh, thank you for listening, guys. Uh, don't forget, um, head over to uh, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bits. And if you want to start in the UK, stacking some sats. Uh, we shield Swan pretty hard in the um, in the interview as well. They're doing a great job. Uh, I know both of these companies at the moment are popping up on a lot of podcasts, and um, there is a reason for that. You know, 100% Bitcoin companies are going to get a lot of mentions, and unfortunately, there aren't that many companies out there that are 100% Bitcoin. And I know I speak for at least one other British UK um, podcaster out there that's. Uh, you know, a bit by bit, uh, he's doing a great job. He's uh, have the same ethos. He he just wants to deal with 100% Bitcoin um, companies, and uh, it's not about um, it's not about shilling a company. It's not about uh, you know just it, you know it's, it's a small way for us as uh, as podcasters who have this tiny voice in this space to to help support some of these companies that are doing great work. So go check them out. SwanBitcoin.com. And that's uh, forward slash once bitten. If you um, want to go start stacking some sats over on uh, your side of the pond, our cousins in the uh, in the US of A. Uh, okay, guys, take care, and um, I'll speak to you all again soon. And I look forward to the next show. As always, thank you so much for listening and uh, for sharing and tweeting and uh, you know joining in the banter on Twitter. Really appreciate it. Take care, guys. Mm-hmm.